It's, it's my privilege to be able to introduce one of our own family members here at Real Life. They come from a long way away, and uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Richard Matuvo to come and join me today. So let's give him a big hand. Dr. Richard, come on and join me this morning. I'm going to have, come on, sit here. God bless you. So good to have Richard with us today. Um, he's uh uh, he's a little on his own today because Rachel, uh, his wife and family, so uh, we'll tell a little bit of, of Richard's story, but uh, you are a professor of cybersecurity at Gannon University, um, right. yeah, which is amazing, and uh, Rachel is working on her PhD right now as well, so finals and schooling are crazy, and so you know, from time to time she can't make it here with us on the weekend, but we are so glad to have you here today. Um, Thank you so much, and thank you for having me around. Uh, it's a privilege for me to call this church my church. I'm so blessed to be here. Uh, some people, you know, refer to me as doctor, but I refer to myself as a child of Christ. And uh, maybe I, when I move around, some people ask me, where do I do my practice? Actually, I'm not a <laughs> medical doctor, but rather I'm an academician, so... I specialize in computer science and, you know, cybersecurity. That is my field and uh, things to do with AI. If you have seen robots, you know, moving in, uh, you know, grocery stores, those are things that I do and, you know, love. Also, maybe let me take this opportunity. You know, my wife might be watching me at home. I know she's not around, but I'm privileged to have the most beautiful wife in the world mm. and, you know, to be married to her. And that she came, you know, from also another world to come and join me, which is a very good privilege. She has been a big help to me, and as well, I'm very privileged to have children, two children who come to Real Learning yeah, Center. Yeah, we have them in the right. And, you know, I'm so grateful to God for being here. Yeah, we are glad. So you, you are coming from really the other side of the world to, to find a home in Erie um, uh, that Richard and Rachel uh, grew up in Uganda, um, and uh, maybe for a lot of you, you might not be uh, sure of where Uganda is, but somewhat central eastern Africa borders Tanzania, Kenya, as well as some other countries, right, in Africa? Southern Sudan, then Congo, and then Rwanda. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I'm, I, as you know, I was talking with Richard a little bit to, just to wonder uh, a little bit like what, what the Christmas season or Christmas is about. In, in that part of the world versus how we celebrate it. And I'm sure you probably are excited every Christmas to wake up to snow in Uganda on Christmas morning. No. No? <laughs> so we never have snow, and I've never seen snow in my life until when I came into the U.S., so it's totally a different world to me. So you never have snow and you never have cold? No. Okay. So Uganda is located in, uh, you know, East Africa, and, you know, we... Uh, Churchill, who was the Prime Minister for UK, actually called it the Pearl of Africa because of its beauty, friendliness, and, you know, diversity that we have. But also, it's one of the countries that uh, the equator crosses. So the equator, and we never have cold, we never have the hotness that we have all here. So we are just in between everything. All year long, we are just... Just perfect know, weather. Just perfect weather all the time. I can tell you right now, my wife is moving to Uganda, Doc. <laughs> There's not a question. No snow, no cold, perfect climate. Yeah, and beautiful people, right? Yeah, so one of the differences, actually, when I came here, people here tend to be more independent. 
And uh, for us, it's more of a social environment. So people, you know, you can meet anyone, greet them at any time. You can give them something. You can share with them and, you know, everything. So one of the things, you know, we have learned, you know, even to just be alone in our homes for most of the time or you are either at work or at home. But, you know, back home, we normally go to any place, anywhere, I don't need an, an invitation to go to my friend. I don't need an invitation to go to my pastor. You know, I can just walk here, uh, knock on the door, walk in, and they are always welcoming. Wow, that's that great. That's great. Amen. Well, um, we're gonna we're just gonna have you do that. I'm just gonna pick out some people randomly, right? And we're just gonna you just walk right in. That's awesome. We love that. That's I think that that fits the family of real life. So, uh, you know, we were talking over the last week or two. Uh, it's just an incredible story how you know Richard and Rachel came to Erie and, and ultimately found real life. But um, let's just talk real quick, maybe. So. Are there other traditions? So obviously you've been in the States now. In fact, they, you came to real life just kind of pre-COVID. Like it's been a couple of years. Yeah, so you've been around. I came in 2020. So during COVID time when everything was closed, almost down. Right, so it was kind of interesting how, you know, how that connection happened. But, but just kind of as a starter, so what, what does Christmas in Uganda, uh, like as, as a little boy, so obviously you see it how it plays out in America, but... Were there any traditions, uh, you know, were there gift giving or special meals or family? Was, was it a, 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 a grand celebration day? Like, you know, obviously it becomes so commercialized here in America. Right. So for us, Christmas actually means a lot to do with reunions and family and gathering. So that is uh, all that we know about Christmas. Churches at the time are going to put on lights, you know, everywhere. Then before Christmas, we are going to have Christmas carols, you know, choirs. Actually, the church I come from is Watoto Church, a very great church planted, by the way, by the Assembly of God minister, I mean, missionary there back home. But, you know, we put up a, they put up a big festival. It's called Cantanta, where they give, you know, to the whole community and I could say maybe 50,000 people come just to watch that show. Wow. Right? Before, you know, Christmas. And then for Christmas, most of it actually is kind of uh, ties to what is we have here. But uh, families move maybe to the villages, you know, for us who stay in the city, we move to the villages and we take treats, you know, things, you know, to share with other people, and then almost all the extended family is going to come and gather in a place. So here maybe 10 of you gather, but for us it's not unusual for like 30 people to gather in one family. And then we are going to have a meal. Actually, one of the things that is very different from uh, where I come from, we almost take fresh food all the time. So you just go to the garden get food, mm. bring it, then, uh, you know, cook it and take. We never store anything in fridges and things like that. So that is actually one of the things that I had to deal with because, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to keep almost something for a week, a month and stuff. But there, everything, and I think you shared this with me before service, someone is just going to cut a goat and then we are going to have it for Christmas <laughs> and then we are done a cow and anything. Everything we have fresh and we just prepare it for that day and then we are done. We never keep anything. 
Yeah, sometimes the gifts show up and they don't, they don't stay very long, right? right. Also, yeah. <laughs> they get used up. <laughs> so the other thing about gifts, yes, we do a lot of sharing of gifts. People are generally generous. I don't say we are very rich like in this country, but actually people are very generous and they give of their time, of their, you know, effort and, you know, also sharing with other people. So in a family setting like mine while I was growing up uh, during Christmas, our dad definitely used, you know, to buy stuff for us. So that is the time he would buy, for example, new clothes for you. That's the time he would buy new shoes or something that you wanted. And then we prepare as a family and then we are going to go to church, watch the show, Christmas cantata, or we are going, you know, to do that. And then we go back home and all of us gather, you know, in a big setting, and then we have food. Mm. And that is part of the thing. And this is all fresh food. That yeah, is yeah, food. yeah. Yeah, very, yeah, in the sense, I'm sure, of a, a sense of tribal with your family, right? right? Like it gathers everyone together, yeah, to celebrate. So are there any traditions? Um, so obviously some of them are similar with singing and cantata and lights. Um, do you think, is there anything uh, anything? Specific, I guess, to Uganda. Any no trees, so we we put up trees, right? Um, yeah. So, so we also put up trees, but for here we put up trees which are artificial. In Uganda, we put up trees which are natural. So you go down, and then you are going to cut this tree down, and then you are going to bring it, and then you are going to put balloons, and you know, be, put a big, you know, okay. decoration on it. Is there a specific tree, like it's, like like our like? So they have a so, similar tree. Yeah, but. The natural trees. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. My we used to do that for a while. Then my wife nicks that idea for the for the fake tree at some point, right? Um, so let's talk about. So when when we were talking with uh, with Richard, so uh, you came early. So church became a part of your life, your family. You came to Christ earlier, right? Um, so you you've kind of known the truth of that. Um, I think another interesting thing is that you also you had a really good job. Right, you worked for a large telecommunications company. They had a home in Uganda, um, and you know we're living wonderfully, family and life. And then the opportunity came for you, and you, as you discussed with your your parents, to to work on your education and and move to Texas um, originally, and and before you found here. So so tell me a little bit about that journey. So obviously he was there was an Assemblies of God out of Canada. That, pla- yeah. that missionary that planted the church where Richard found Christ. Um, and so that became a big part of, so the, the, the story of Christmas is, you know, rings in your heart. Like for us, we know that, that you recognize the need of a savior, right? Halfway around the world, that, that gospel message is, has rung true for you. And then it brought you to a connection in Texas and then obviously the job here. So why don't you talk about what, what was that sense of, of that journey of, of leaving home and, and coming here? Yeah, so when Pastor Jim shared with me this, you know, title, actually it resonated with me inside because I was kind of living a comfortable life where I was. I used to work for a telecom. I've headed, you know, software teams developing big software that is running in uh, national utilities. And then I worked on uh, a mobile money platform, which is kind of a way of sharing money since we don't have credit cards here, but you know, people share credit, I mean money 
on mobile phones, and that, uh, that was a big part of what I was working on. And so, you know, I was introduced to software when I was a little kid, about 12 years, and I've worked with computers all through. I, I guess even the software that I used then, many of you have not worked with it because, you know, we used not to have the windows that we do. But uh, during uh, the time, uh, and I think I was born actually in the same year when this missionary came to Uganda, he's called Pastor Gary Skinner and he planted a church. Now that church actually, I've just checked the statistics, every Sunday about 35,000 people gather <laughs> in the church. How so, many know that's church? 35,000, <laughs> right? <laughs> 35,000 people gather just on one Sunday. And you can imagine the impact that they have created in our nation, especially that, think about the 35 that just come on one Sunday, but also us who have left the church mm. and we have moved, you know, all over the world. So the impact that he has created is really immense. But um, the church, you know, pl uh, was planted in 1984, which is the year I was born. And at the time, there was a transition of government. But still, this missionary was, you know, had the calling of Christ. And then he came and he started, you know, in very troubling times to try, you know, and plant this church. And he has remained to the call of that vision mm. ever since. And he has had an impact on me personally and on many other people. And one other thing which I maybe, which I learned from that church is, though I don't come to the pulpit every now and then to preach, but actually I'm also a full-time minister where I work Amen. and in the marketplace, mm. and which is a very big part of what I do, whether I'm doing it professionally or, you know, helping other people. I know that I'm doing this as part of, a, as a full-time minister mm. as well. So anyway, uh, how did I come to Christ? I came to Christ through this church. The church at the time, they ran a show called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. That show is a free show, but I believe it's one of the best shows in our country. But they dedicate a lot of resources, a lot of people, maybe, I think, maybe 300 people are just participating in that show mm. to make it happen. And it happens every four years. And through that show, I was able to know Christ when I was still in high school. And... Uh, they have impacted me in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, they have, they have taught us, you know, how to give, you know, how to be a part of the church, how, you know, to not to just be uh, seated in the congregation, but also to participate, because that is how we can help. And now coming into America, I also see, what, right, what the church looks like and the sacrifices they make, you know, to try and sponsor these missionaries. And mm. I believe this is something that we should continue mm. doing. I am part of it, I believe, but I believe even if you don't see the need or you don't know where this goes, and to me that is always what I consider. Whatever I give to the church or whatever, and I'm not trying to brown, please, but whatever I give to the church, I never ask where, what it does because mm. I know in one way or another, God is going to move and, you know, transform lives because mm. I'm part of that, Amen. you know, that, yeah. well, that was transformed. I don't know how many people gave, you know, to try and plant, you know, that church right. in Uganda. Right. Right. Um, the other thing, yeah, so I was in a very comfortable zone 
and uh, to try and relate to the topic that uh, he's talking about, right? So what does it mean to move from, you know, wherever God was? We know that God was in heaven, right? Christ was in heaven, you know, very magnificent. We read about it. We can only imagine what it looks like. But I can also compare it to where my family, where I was in Uganda, because this is where I grew up for over 27 or so years, right? And then one day, this whole thing turns around, and it's like, I need to move. I've never dreamt of being away from home for more than a week. I have traveled all over the world, but I had never been away from one week. And then I'm away from home, and to get back to home, if I wanted to go back to home, it's going to take me about 20 over 20 hours of yeah, flight, flight. Yeah, yeah right. without the connections and, you know, <laughs> every, anything, right? So that is going to be a lot of time. So now I move away from home, right? I'm 20 hours of flight away. I cannot even think about that I can return maybe in a day or so. Of course, depending also on the work that we do, people will need you at work all the time and things like that. So I can relate with this story. But uh, I was thinking of an analogy of what I, how I can explain what that could mean, right? So you just imagine you had a plant that you had maybe here in the cold, that it is able to grow in this cold. And then this plant grows roots, and these roots grow, grow into the soil, and it knows that maybe in Feb, this is where the water is, in March, this is where the water is, and things like that. It gets all its nutrients from this place, right? And then now you get that plant and remove it from that soil and take it maybe into a desert. Mm. So that, that is how it felt to me, transforming from where I lived to where I am. Just even the English, I think you can tell, is a little different, right? Mm -hmm. I've grown up knowing that actually I know English and I never thought that actually there, is, there could be a big difference between American English and British English. So we grew up with British English, right? So I come here and then I start seeing, you know, all these little tweaks, right, <laughs> to, <laughs> to the English. And then I'm wondering, am I even speaking the right language or what does this mean to me, right? And of course, again, being black, of course, there are also other issues that come with that. Right? So I'll first, you know, things to do with racism. I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> then the other thing, also, there are a lot of freedoms around here. Right? People believe in their freedoms. For us, we grew up knowing their absolute truth. For example, God is God. Right? That is not something even mm. I need to whatever. And some people might argue that, you know, we need to reason. But then I give again an example, for example, of my kids, right? I take them to school, they never reason, but actually they are able to follow through, and sometimes that's how I live also with the word, right? Even if sometimes I don't understand what is happening, I know that for sure, right, God is God, that mm. is absolute. I don't mm. have to question that. And that is the life, you know, we grew up in. But anyway, then I come, you know, to, I, the first place I went to was Texas, right? Texas, and that is where I got my PhD in uh, computer science, spent four and a half years, and by, by God's grace, I was, you know, able to complete in uh, record time, because normally that takes about five to so years. And uh, taking into consideration that I didn't grow up from here, 
the education system is very different and, you know, all the, those other things. And I'm very thankful to God. But, you know, while I was still at that campus, again, I thank God for the church because I met a church which was, uh, Chris, it's called Christian Life in Lubbock. And that church, you know, helped me in many ways. Some of the ways even you might not consider them tangible. But I can give you an example. For example, when I just came, I did not have transport to go to church. And then there is this group, Chi Alpha, mm. right, that, you know, come to the colleges and then they, you know, spread the word. And by God's grace, I'm able to meet one of them. And then they are able to provide, uh, their, one of them commits to picking me up every Sunday and taking me to church Amen. for the four and a half years. Mm which made a very big difference because connecting with God's word is very, very important. Mm. And this church, anyway, played a big role because a PhD sometimes is a very lonely journey. And especially at the time, again, I wasn't yet married. So I came alone, right, from Uganda. I had never thought I would be away from my home. The food is completely different, <laughs> like I've told you, right? We take fresh food. Most of our food has soup. Here, that is not the case, right? <laughs> then, uh, you know, we take a lot of steak. The way we prepare it is very different. It's always fresh. I don't get it from the freezer. I'm going, you know, to get a real goat and bring it, right? <laughs> so you can imagine all those complexities that I had, you know, to work through to get, you know, where I, uh, where I am. And, but anyway, I'm very grateful, you know, for the church and, you know, the other thing which I've learned actually from, uh, the, from being around is uh, how the church, especially Assemblies of God, um, how they support missionaries. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a very big part. Uh, one of the things I thought uh, while I was back the other side is that maybe um, the missionaries, maybe they are just stuck, right? So maybe they are stuck, and then they are like, okay, let's go to Africa and, you know, try to help. But actually, when I was, for example, at Texas Tech, I saw missionaries who are educated. They have done, you know, their degrees, and then over time, they are like, God has called us to go to Africa. God has called us to go to the Middle East. God has called us to go to mm. somewhere. And I'm like, this was very touching because growing up, all we saw and what many people think is that educated people never uh, are not born again. Then, you know, people who are, have problems are the ones who are going to give their time to God. But I'm so thankful, mm. you know, to see this real example of people giving up their lives, you know, to just go and follow what God is calling is about. Yeah, in academia, they were, obviously, you made that connection. That, right. And what you grew up with, that, that ministry is in the marketplace, right? We're all ministers. Right, and, uh, and uh, that is uh, another thing that motivates me to be, you know, in academia and also to, to go, you know, into these technology environments because many people don't think that Christian things that we do big connection between Christians and technology and the, all the mm. other things that we do. Right. So I know I can talk and talk, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think just obviously in finding real life and, and with ear in it, and I think that was, as, as Rich and I had talked earlier, that that was a wonderful surprise because 
not only through the Assemblies of God that, that the church was planted in Uganda where he found Christ, but then went to Texas Tech and through Chi Alpha and the Assembly Church there. And then, um, you know, we don't, that, that necessarily isn't in our name all the time. We say Real Life Assembly, but they came to visit and it was kind of a wonderful discovery as they were here for a little bit to realize, wow, it's an, it's an Assemblies of God church, right? God has just ordered their steps um, in a familiar pattern, right? To, to be a part of a new tribe here, you know, among us um, and to be able to celebrate. Um, I, I think this, you know, upon our church family, and when we think, you know, at, Richard kind of talked to me about like almost Abraham, you know, God just calling him and he went to a new land. He didn't know anything and, you know, it seemed to be a little bit of their journey. And I know that obviously we have wrapped our arms around them. Um, but, you know, I had talked to him about Christmas. There aren't very many or really none uh, like Ugandan people. Like I asked him, you know, like, uh, do you have... Do you have Ugandan people here in Italy? Is there, is there people of, of your home? Um, and there was there isn't. Um, there are some Nigerian people right. and some obviously in other African countries, but obviously they are alone in their culture and you know trying to to be a part of this culture, right? Right. So yeah, that that is one of the things that we have come to you know to live with. But I'm glad you know God is with us and He orders our footsteps. I like it in Psalms where it says you know He orders our you know this the, our footsteps, right? So sometimes we don't know the bigger picture, but, you know, he's just going to put a torch and, you know, he's going to order the next step that you're going mm -hmm. to take. And uh, I'm definitely very thankful for this church, you know, for being uh, a part of our family. We call this home. I'm thankful for Bob. I'm thankful for Jacqueline and Matt, you know, I'm thankful for the pastor, you know. And definitely now, Eri has become kind of our home. We have had, you know, our two kids born here, so which is very special to mm -hmm. us, right? And also coming to church. But I don't meet a lot of Ugandans almost anywhere. In Texas Tech, we are, I think it's a student body of about uh, 30,000 maybe students, right? And uh, I only met about six Ugandans mm -hmm. while I was there doing my PhD. Mm -hmm. And then I come over here, maybe I've met about five kids at Ganon University where I teach who have met. So I don't meet a lot of people, you know, who come from the same culture. But even just to put more, you know, I don't know, to put something in there, even if they were coming from Uganda, in Uganda we have over 40 different cultures, right? People speaking 40 different languages. <laughs> so even if, right, I met one of them, even the probability of finding one that actually speaks my same language is also very, very little. Yeah, but yeah. I, again, I'm thankful for the church because, you know, through the church, I found a home I know I can always run to the church. Uh, for us, uh, back home, in church, we are told actually to be free. So you find people running from this side to the other side, dancing from this side to the other side. Here, right, we just humble ourselves and, you know. We <laughs> Not too much <laughs> dancing like that, right? <laughs> yeah, but for us, we jump up, you know, to the sky and back and, you know. So church definitely plays a big role and I'm very thankful for the families. And yeah, I encourage, I think, you know, each one of us, if it is possible, to open up homes, mm. you know, to meet, you know, with other people. You never know what impact. Like I've told you, just those guys taking us to church, committing for four entire years, taking mm. us to church, make, 
a very, very, very big difference. Mm, amen. Yeah, so again, I, I know so many of you have, but I would just continue to encourage as you see people, uh, of all people here at Real Life, that, that, you know, we talk about being a family, that it's important that we share life together. When we talk about our life groups or connect groups, and, and obviously to, to just love on Richard and Rachel and their family. They are beautiful, beautiful people, and we're honored uh, to have them a part of this family and to share their life with us and, and to hear a little bit more of their story. Uh, I'll just, we'll end it with this. Um, I, I, I don't know if you can verify, Richard. I was, it's from Google, and I know we have to be careful on the internet, but, but one thing that I did read about Ugandan people, especially at the holidays, is that they, uh, they usually provided a, a large monetary gift to their pastor every Christmas. Is, can you confirm that? So, like I said, generosity is part of... You know. That's all. I'm not going to put you on the hook. That was a story. Hey, would you give a big welcome, a big hand? Thank you, Richard. Love you. Uh, man, so wonderful to be able to share the wonderful story in the life today. So Richard, thank you so much and for your family. And again, we've been reflecting over this last month. Let me just take these last couple of minutes and, and turn to God's word and, and help us how we put into perspective this wonderful out of the world story that, that came to dwell within us. I think the, the biggest thing that we're trying to make an impact this month is really that the Christmas story introduces us to this amazing event is that God left his world and he came into our world. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago that as we understood, and Richard even reflected upon it for just a moment, the splendor of heaven, what was it like when God left his world and came to us? Uh, we don't have very many direct reports, but from the Bible and from John's revelation, it talks about the splendor of God fills all of heaven, that, that the foundation of heaven is, is laid with these precious gemstones, that the gates are made out of pearl. And in fact, the Bible tells us that John was able to relate that thousands upon thousands of angels are in joyful assembly around the throne. How many are looking forward to a place like that? Amen? The wonderful joy of heaven. And then last week, we talked about how the angels, when they showed up, they made several declarations to the shepherds and to others that the first thing that they wanted, that heaven wanted to remind us of is that we can fear not for there can be great joy that now has come to earth because a Savior has come, that God left his world and he came to ours. And in those moments when we are apt to be fearful or understand that, that, that our world might be in disarray, that God has us in mind, that God came to deliver us. And I read from Luke chapter 2. Let me just read a passage of that with you today. It's kind of our, our key scripture passage for this entire series. From Luke chapter 2, it says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And I love this verse in, in reflecting just how we have portrayed it in this series. Great joy to all people. Not, not just American people, but Ugandan people and people from Puerto Rico and people from India and people from around the world. That this good news is made available to all people. And here's the part I want to just take a few moments with you this morning. For today... In the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. 
He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign. Everybody say sign. This will be a sign to you that you will find the baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Today, I want to take just a couple of moments and share with you today about the offer of heaven and the opportunity for earth. You see, the offer of heaven, as we read about today, is that today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. You know, we deal with all kinds of offers in our life every day. Some of us, we have to refuse some offers. How many get crazy texts, right, or online messages, especially during this time, offering you all kinds of things, like out of the blue? Have any of you got a text, right, just a number, and it's some kind of offer? Sometimes Debbie and I, like, I have to challenge her. She's like, hey, I got this text, and this is what they want. I'm like, no, right? Don't respond to a text from somebody that you don't know, right? Most of the time, we know that offer isn't going to be very good. Sometimes we realize that we don't necessarily want to accept the first offer. How many have ever had to go to a car dealer and buy a car? I hope you've all learned never accept the first offer. Hello? Are you with me? Right? Maybe, maybe you missed that the very first time in the negotiation, but then you realize you know that first offer is not the best offer, right? You, you have to work at that. Sometimes we get an offer at the wrong time. A couple of years ago, Debbie and I, I, I have this man fantasy of owning a Corvette one day. And, um, and I've kind of been looking and, and realized to get one that I can afford, it's got to be an old one. Um, and we saw something probably on Marketplace that popped up. It was a 1979 Corvette. And I said to Deb, just for fun, let's just, let's just go look at it. You know, it's not a lot of money. And we pull up, and um, not only does he have this one, but he has one, he has another Corvette in his garage, and he wanted to sell this one because he wanted to get a newer Corvette. I'm like, man, I found the right guy, you know? And he's like, take it for a test drive. Just go enjoy it, you know? And we're just, I'm kind of living my, you know, my 16-year-old gym, right? We're driving all over Erie and just like, man, having the time of, you want to make me an offer? And, and then, then like the panic set in. Like, it was like, oh my goodness. And, and I'm thinking, it was kind of, it was late. It was towards the fall. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know that I have the money right now. I where am I going to park this thing? I'm not going to drive it in the winter, right? I, all these things now came flooding me. I, I don't know if this, and so he said, listen, why don't you sleep on it? He said, I've got, I've got another offer tomorrow, but I really think, and you know, maybe this guy was the consummate salesman. He's like, I really think you are the couple for this car, right? <laughs> and inside that little voice was going, yes, I went home and we talked about it. And, and you know, the more we felt it was probably just not the right time. And, um, and I called him the next morning, and I said, listen, this is the hardest phone call that, you know, that I'm ever going to make, but that I don't think we're going to, it's just not the right time. And, and he said, well, you didn't make me an offer yet. And I'm like, I know. He, and he was like, offer, just make an offer. Throw a number out there. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think my number, he's like, just throw it out there. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and it, but at the end of the day, obviously, if you come to my house, there is no Corvette in my driveway. 
It wasn't the right time as much as maybe I wanted it to be, or sometimes offers come in the wrong way. When Debbie and I were first married, someone um, had was part of a timeshare kind of deal, and there were some gift certificates, and so we wanted to go away for vacation. We weren't making a lot of money. We couldn't afford to go a lot of places, and there was a big resort down in Virginia, and they said, hey, we'd love to gift you this timeshare. Spend the week in Virginia, and we're like, wow, this is awesome. What a blessing until we showed up and they invited us to come, the people at the, at the resort invited us to a wonderful social. I mean, we were like 20s. We're like, that's awesome. Like, they want us to come. Like, we're important people. How many have ever gone to one of those special gatherings, right? Your first time at a resort. Oh my gosh, for three hours, they were hammering us, wanting us to be a part of the club and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, Fortunately, I mean, we had no money. Like, there was no way this was going to happen. And, and, and after we kind of were exhausted and, and almost angry, I guess, at, at that point, then they brought in the closer. How many, right? His, I can still, this was 30 years ago. His name was Arnie. I still remember a guy from New Jersey, big gold chains. Mr. and Mrs. Grove, how are ya? And I mean, it was like another hour of that, of trying to get us to sign on the dotted line. But it was an offer that came in the wrong way. We kind of left bitter and and upset, right, that we had lost so much time. You know, sometimes they tell us that sometimes there is an offer that sounds too good to be true. In the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell the same story about a rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day. And he came to ask the Savior, what do I have to do to be saved? What what do I do to get eternal life? And and I think there's a couple of quick things within that story to understand his background or maybe really the essence of the question, but maybe more than anything else for us today is to know what the power of the gospel is all about for us today. In Matthew chapter 19, it says this, the young man had asked Jesus, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Some translations have him saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because some of the feeling was like the prodigal son is that he inherited, he took money from his family, his father to set out. And because he now was loaded, he was kind of looking, what's the next inheritance? What more can I get for not really having to invest anything? Just to get all of this fortune that somehow that, is due to me. And he finds Jesus in that moment. Now, obviously, he is talking to to Christ. Like, Jesus knows his backstory. He knows how he is coming to him and, and what he's all about. And so it's, you know, you really have to study this passage to understand how Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. And so Jesus said, if you want eternal life, then you need to keep the commandments Well, this is something that got his attention right away because he seemingly prided himself that his whole life, that that is in one area that he was really flawless in. He said, I've kept all of the commandments, right, from the time of my youth. And so Jesus, he said, what, what else do I have to do? I've, I, like, I've checked that off, Jesus. I'm, I'm good there. So what else is it? What is it about the law that, that I have not mastered? And so Jesus, and, and here again, if you dig in a little bit more, how many, how many commandments of the commandments that Moses taught? How many are there? Help me out. There's 10, right? So when we read in the passage 
Jesus didn't even touch on the first four. It's a little bit about what Richard said to us today. The first four deal primarily with just God, right? Have no other God before you. His name is holy and sacred. There Have no graven images like it's God. And that's what Richard said. He grew up realizing, hey, the God thing, that's God. Right? There's, there's no debating. That's God. And, and so there's no control. There's no back and forth on that. And so Jesus knew that, man, that's where this guy lived, like in the law, right? And, and there, there's no way to, to go anything different with God. But Jesus took on the next six. And that's control that, that we deal with every day. And Jesus went down the list He talked to him about murder and adultery and theft and lying and ultimately covetousness. You see, that's what got him. Jesus knew like really how to pinpoint really where the series of these questions were going about. But he was quick to reply. He said, I've kept all of the commandments flawlessly from the time of my birth. And he goes on to say, so what else do I lack? What else do I have to do to get this eternal Life. I've heard that you don't take a knife to a gunfight, and I would add you don't go into a salvation argument with Jesus. He knows right where we're at. He knows how to get to the heart of the matter. And although he was religious, the problem was is that he considered himself faultless concerning the law, and that's what Jesus was about to point out to him. And what was true to the rich young ruler back then is still true to you and I today. You see, if our greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. If your greatest need was technology, God would have sent a scientist. If your greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist. But our greatest need was salvation. This day, in the city of David, a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. You see, God knew what this young man needed was not his wealth, not his inheritance, Not his pedigree, not his background, but what he needed was everything that Jesus could provide. He needed a savior. He needed to realize that nothing can save him. The law can't save you. Your money's not going to save you. Your investments aren't going to save you. You see, for this guy, it was money, it was stuff, and it gets a lot of people. Moms and dads, if I can be honest with you today, your kids don't need all the stuff you're getting them for Christmas. And I get it. We want to be extravagant. We want them to be in awe. I get that. I mean, I'm a dad. I I understand that feeling. But remember, it's all temporary. You see, your determined effort as a parent today is to give your kids eternity. Almost everything that they're going to unwrap on Christmas morning is going to be thrown into a heap by February. But what God is calling on us is to realize that the true story of Christmas is that what we really need is a Savior. What we really need is a relationship with God. There is nothing else that's going to save us. There is nothing else that is going to get us, that is going to provide what I mentioned earlier, peace and love and life and hope and joy. It only comes by way of a Savior. You see, we'll never live it perfectly. Jesus said, that's why I had to come. You see, if we want eternal life, he said to the rich young ruler, then I want you to go and sell all of these possessions, give them to the poor, for then you will have a treasure in heaven. And here comes the offer, the offer of heaven. Then come and follow me. 
You see, the offer of heaven is, is that we have no hope. Without Christ coming to us, our family name isn't going to, our education, all of those things that we are going to bank everything in, our gifts, our toys, our stuff. Our stuff might start when we are two and three and four years old, but it doesn't matter if you're 30, 40, or 50. There's still something in us a lot of times that is still after stuff, as if somehow that's going to equate to everybody else. I've arrived. Look at me. I have everything that I need. Somebody tell me, what else do I lack? And Jesus said, if we want to get to the heart of it, if you really want eternity, then let's really see who the Savior is in your life. Is it your stuff or is it me? And so Jesus challenged him, then go take all of your stuff, sell it, give it to the poor, those who really need it, and then come and follow me. You see, every one of us are going to have a response to the gospel. And, and God loves us so much, and God is so good that he's going to bring it in such a way that it has to make sense for us. Jesus knew this guy's story. Jesus knew that this offer that he was going to make him was going was to bring it to the quick in this guy's life. He wasn't going to talk about anything extemporaneous. Listen, Jesus said, I know your issue is stuff, and so let me see if you're going to be real about this. Go sell it all and come and follow me. And most of you know the response to the offer. He turned sorrowfully and walked away because he had so much stuff. See, it's not just a story in the Bible how many people are going to miss eternity because they're looking in the wrong direction. They're looking to the wrong thing that ultimately is going to provide the hope of eternity in their life. You see, I can tell most of us today that the lottery, it's not going to change your life. Oh, it probably can make some things better for a while, but the statistics haven't changed. It destroys more lives than it helps. And if you want anything more, you're never going to outlast it. You're only going to leave it anyway. So the question is, how do we go into eternity? What, what really is going to be our response to an eternity offer? For this young man, he turned sorrowfully away because it was this internal struggle of everything that I have to this offer from the Savior. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him, Christ, made him who had no sin to become sin for us. Jesus didn't become sinful. He took our sin on him. It was the, it was the pack. It was the burden of your sin and my sin. He didn't have to wear all that. It wasn't his to take, but because God loves each and every one of us so much, God was willing to step in on your and my account so that he could make a wonderful free offering to each and every one of us. God was willing to take your pain, your suffering, your hurt, the pain of sin, and to put it on him. He became sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we then can become the righteousness of God, that we accept the offer. Unfortunately for this man, he was looking in the wrong 
direction. All he could see was what he had amassed, what he had worked for, what was given to him, and he weighed that against the offer that God was giving to him. God was saying, listen, I'll take everything. I'll unburden you. I'll unload all of that and offer you a way into eternal life that comes only through my son, Jesus Christ. It was the greatest gift exchange ever. Some of you are going to go to Christmas parties this week, I'm sure, and you're going to do a little gift exchange, a little gift swap. And some of those are meant to be funny, right? Like, like we buy things and, you know, you get to trade and you get to swap. And, you know, the idea that there's usually always one good gift and, and there's, how can I manipulate it? How can good gifts? And the work of that gift exchange is how can I manipulate it? How can I, uh, you know, rob from another, take my turn, and, and so that I can walk out with the greatest gift of the exchange? But the truth is, is all of the effort and all of the work that we go into trying to get this temporal gift, to hold on to all of this temporal stuff and to realize we don't take any thought or direction as to how we are going to obtain eternity. We look at God's offer as if we've got more time, that, that I, I've got a better deal. I, I'm waiting for a better offer. I never take the first offer, pastor. And somehow we're willing to, to let it ride. Or we hear the message. Some of you have come to church over and over and again, and you've heard the truth. You, you feel the embrace of, of our worship, and you recognize, but still, I want to do my deal. And you're willing to trade eternity for the temporary. You see, unfortunately, the Bible says that there will be more, many more like this that are going to walk away tearfully, sadly, because we want to hold on to the wrong thing. We want to accept the wrong offer. You see, the Christmas story provides each and every one of us a life-changing offer. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. I want to leave you with this this morning. You see, we all have the opportunity today so that we're clear God gave us a sign that what he says is truth. In the Christmas story, the Bible says, and I had you read it and we said the word together, this will be a sign unto you. You see, God knows humanity most of the time, it's kind of a prove it kind of thing. Let me see it. Sometimes we feel, again, like the offer is too good, and we don't know what to do with that. And so God says, listen, if you're still struggling to wonder, do I love you? Like, is this the plan that I have for you, that I, that, that I made him who had no sin to take your sin upon him? That he'll take all of that wrong so that you can accept the offer of righteousness, of salvation, of hope, of joy, of peace. That you can accept all of that. To say, listen, I know you might not get everything in this temporal world that we're living in. But God says, I promise you, eternity is going to be amazing. And if you don't believe me, I'll give you a sign. We're always after signs. Show me, tell me, prove it to me. God says, I love you so much that I'm going to deliver this offer to you in person. Matthew chapter 14 gives us another part of the story. Jesus had just been with a large crowd, and he sent his disciples in a boat ahead of him. And the, the Bible tells us this, that shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them 
listen, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. They had never seen anything like this before. And they thought that it was a ghost or it was some kind of fabrication of their mind. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus said to them immediately, those of you that have been a part of this series, I'm going to test you right now. The first thing that Jesus said to them was what? Fear not, right? That's what we've talked about this whole Christmas story is to help us to realize that God has a purpose and God has a plan for our life. And when they were fearful, when they didn't want to know what to do next, God said, fear not. And Peter stood up and said, Lord, if it is you, then tell me. Here's again another invitation, another offer. If it is you, then, then tell me to come to you on the water, and listen to me, church. And Jesus said, come. You see, the offer of heaven, no matter if we're crushed, no matter if we're well, no matter if we're fearful, no matter if we're facing sickness or disease, no matter if if our loved ones have run out on us, it doesn't matter if we have come to a strange land and we are all alone, Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance is, whatever the world is trying to tell you or to keep from you, I want you to know that the response of heaven, the offer of heaven is always come. Peter said, Lord, if it is you, like if you're the only thing that matters, if this is truly you have this this miracle power, you've come to us in the midst of the storms, walking on the water, if it's you, call me to come and Instantly, the Savior said, come. Listen, for some of you that are struggling today, I believe that same offer is coming to you from heaven again today. In the midst of the whirlwind of your life, in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the struggle, you're wondering, is there there any hope? Is there any help? Sometimes these situations are so overwhelming, we don't know what to do. Listen, The Erie community was just rocked this week by a a personality in our city who on the outside seemed like that she had life by the tail, that everything was wonderful, only to realize that there was something that was driving inside that led to a, a terrible decision. There are people that are suffering inside and yet they walk around with a smile on their face and we never know. And you might be one of those people here today. In the midst of the storm of your life, I want you to know that scripture is driving home this truth, this hope of heaven to you. Jesus is saying, come, come to me. I'm not talking about only the temper. I'm telling you today, I will not only walk with you today, but I am providing you an eternity where there is nothing but joy and hope, where angels stand in joyful assembly around the throne of God, where we cry, worthy is Lamb, holy, holy, holy is he. You see, we are given an offer today, church, an offer of heaven. And Jesus is waiting for our response. Our eternity hangs by way of, of this wonderful invitation. But unfortunately, God understood us, and it comes by way of our will. You see, we can choose to respond or not respond. The rich young ruler said, I can't do it. And he sorrowfully walked away. But Peter said, if it is you, Jesus, call me to come on the water. 
and I'll come to you. And the Bible says that Peter stood, got out of the boat, and started walking to Jesus. You see, no matter what we're facing, the challenge is, is that we can stand in the midst because there is a Savior. There is a sign that he has come to us, an invitation that we can't miss. You see, whenever there's something special that is going on in our life, we send out an invitation. When your kids graduate, when they're about to get married, how many know that in those kind of moments, the invitation is definitely different than the normal things that we communicate with people every day? These are envelopes that are stuffed inside of other envelopes that are stuffed inside of other envelopes. How many know what I'm talking about, right? We're like, how many, how many envelopes do I have to open to get to the message about what's going on? And then, then we open up the letter and all kinds of stuff falls out, right? All over our countertop, across our floor. Like, what is this? It's a wonderful invitation that we want to make sure that you don't miss this one. It takes some some, some planning, it takes some unfolding, and we want you to know that whether it's a graduation, it's a wedding, we don't pass up that opportunity, that invitation, because people are asking, please respond, we want you to join us. And so God does not want you to miss his invitation either. You see, I guess he could have shouted it from the heavens. He could have had the stars aligned like some of you when we go to the, the shore and there is a plane that makes little cloud puffs and it writes out a message and we kind of ooh and ah like, oh, wow. Look. I mean, I guess there are multiple ways that God could have announced this wonderful birth that a Savior was coming, but God chose to send his own son. And we talked about it in the weeks past. It wasn't with a lot of fanfare. It wasn't with a lot of like it would have been here on earth. But he gave it to people who were willing to accept it and willing to share it. You will find the baby. God says, here is my sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. You see, some of those offers that we get are sometimes too good to be true. You mean I get all of heaven Everything that God has done for me just by simply accepting and receiving God's love for my life. How can it be that easy? It, it seemingly, it, it, it doesn't cost me a thing of which you're absolutely right. But it cost God everything. It was on your behalf to make him who knew no sin to become sin. But again, here's the second part of the offer, that when we come into a relationship with Christ, we have the opportunity to have the righteousness of God, to be the greatest gift, to unwrap the greatest present that could ever be offered to you and I. The band's going to come and help me today. Let me just finish this morning. You see, because the wonderful story of Christ coming to us is really bookended by signs. You see, when God came to us, he gave us a sign. Today in the town of David, 
A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the child wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. You see, God knew that we needed a sign. We needed something to be able to believe in. But God did the very same thing for us at the other end of the story. Because not only was God going to come for us, but to offer you and I eternity. God was willing to die for us. And in the same way, he provided you and I a sign. The Bible tells us at the end of the Gospels that Jesus had his followers at a table. And as supper was going on, he took the bread and he blessed it. And he shared it with his disciples. This is my body that will be broken for you. It would be a sign that God wasn't just calling it in, but that God was going to create this eternal exchange to give his life as a ransom for many. And there at that table, he only would the disciples realize in the hours to come that his body would truly be broken, that he would be stripped of his clothing, that a large cross would be placed upon his shoulder, a crown of thorns on his head, that, that the crowd would jeer and spit and laugh at him as he was bloodied as soldiers were taking whips and tearing into his flesh and opening up his back as he began to bleed. And then he took the cup and this will be a sign to you that this is my blood which I will shed for the ransom and the redemption of all. And he passed the cup and he said, this is a new testament. This is a new blessing to you in my blood. Again, church, it's not costing you and I anything. It cost God everything. I don't know if some of you, I seem to be overwhelmed every Christmas. There always tends to be a gift that I feel so unworthy, so undeserving in getting. Maybe I've done the same for my wife and there is this sense of, <laughs> why? How, how could you? Like, where did this come from? We, we have this sense of being overwhelmed by a wonderful gift. Can I tell you today that this God of heaven who left his world and came into ours was not willing just to tell you about eternal life but was willing to give and offer you and I eternal life. It was a visual that was played out to the disciples because at the end of that road, the Via Della Rosa, they came to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there a cross was erected and spikes and nails were put through his wrists. A spear was put into his side and there he gasped his last to tell us stay I. He wasn't declaring that he was finished. He was declaring that it is finished. The separation between the eternal 
and the temporary, the bridge between life and life everlasting. I am laying down my life. No one takes my pathway, this pathway into hope and life and joy and peace and hope. But I recognize today and my offer to you is that we have a choice. We could be the rich young ruler to say, now's not a good time, Pastor. I'm still not sure. I still have questions. You could be the rich young ruler today or you could be Peter. God, what I'm hearing today, what I'm feeling, what I'm, what I'm experiencing, my soul, what this house is all about, the testimony that you can take a young boy from Uganda and introduce him, that he can have a wife and a family and realize that wherever he goes in the world, that there are those who believe. That amidst the struggle and the travail of finding a new home and a new land, that there is a God who simply says, come. Come. Today, most of you today, if you are a follower of Christ, that we've provided this, this sign for you, this end of the story. No, he's not the baby in the manger any longer. He is the king. His throne is beside the Father, realizing that it is finished. The hope of heaven is yours and mine today. And so I'm going to ask if you know him, then this is part of our journey at Christmas today, is to receive him, to come to him. But for maybe those of you today, this is an invitation an invitation to come to a God who loves you, a God who cares for you, a God who understands the mess that's in your life today but loves you just the same. To you who are still skeptical, who still have more questions than answers, it's simply faith to believe. I don't know how many of you have ever stepped out of a boat and walked on water, but if God tells you to come, you can do it. Can I tell you, your failures don't have to be fatal. Today, the message of the gospel is, is that Christ has come for you. And I want to invite you today to come to the Savior. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ.